welcome to episode 247 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer-producer Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I'm excited because this is a special episode here at Monster Kid Radio. There's two reasons for that. First of all, it's our third annual holiday gift guide. So I've been keeping track all year of the different books and DVDs and things that have been released and have got a list here that I'm going to share with you suggestions for maybe the monster kid in your life that needs a holiday gift. But secondly, the reason this episode is so special to me is that this is the first time that we're putting Monster Kid Radio on YouTube. This is a full-on YouTube episode. Now, if you're an iPod user, you're listening to this on an MP3 player, no problem. You're getting the audio, not a big deal. You go to YouTube, though, look up the Monster Kid Radio YouTube channel. You're going to be able to watch the video and see me here in the Dorado Films studio. That's right. Dorado Films has a podcast studio now. We're going to be producing a number of podcasts here as well. Now, Monster Kid Radio Central, that's still our primary location. But when we need to do something out here, we've got to set up now. Also, this is going to be the home of the Dorado Films podcast. So that'll be coming up probably later this year. We're going to get that ramped up and going. There's only one episode of that. but It doesn't matter. Bottom line, we are here at the Dorado Films Podcast Studio. So big thanks to Dorado Films for allowing us to use this space so that we can produce this holiday gift guide. Now, you're already hearing some music, some holiday music. It's Green Sleeves. It's from the band The Dead Rocks. It's from their album International Brazilian Surfs. Now, you can find them at deadrocks.com.au. BR. Yeah, they're a Brazilian surf band. Or you can look them up on Facebook. You can look them up on Bandcamp. And they even have a few albums available for sale on Amazon. Now, they gave us permission to play their music here on this special holiday-themed show. So I hope you enjoy it. This is not the only holiday music you're going to hear on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I've got some music lined up from Midnight Syndicate. They put out a Christmas album And why don't I tell you about that right now? Midnight Syndicate has been producing what they call soundtracks to imaginary films since 1997. Now, over the years, they've been putting out regular releases, actually provided the soundtracks to some real films, and forged an empire of spooky music. If you go to haunted houses or haunted attractions, you're going to hear their music. If you watch any of the Halloween specials that you might see on channels like the Travel Channel or something along those lines, you will hear some of their music played in the background. I'm a big fan of what Midnight Syndicate does, and they've appeared here on the show in the past. In fact, they've made previous years gift guides. When I heard that they were making a Christmas album, I was curious, but I wasn't exactly sure how it was going to come together. As soon as I heard the album, though, I knew I needn't have worried. This album starts incredibly well with a bang with a Christmas overture, which is a nice spooky medley of Christmas carols through the Midnight Syndicate filter. If this is indicative of the direction that Midnight Syndicate is going in, I can't wait to see what comes next. But in the meantime, this is a CD that I think every monster kid would enjoy having. Now, you can pick it up through Amazon, of course, but you can also go to Midnight Syndicate's website and pick it up from them directly. From their website, you can get the album for $12. If you want to go through Amazon, it's about $12.50, $13. Of course, there are also MP3 versions of the album available as well. Midnight Syndicate gave us permission to play a medley of their Christmas music here on this holiday guide. So that's what you're going to hear in the background when we're not playing a trailer or some other piece of audio. 
Speaking of audio, why don't we go ahead and get into some of the CDs that you're going to find on the Holiday Gift Guide this year. Another album released on CD this year was a limited edition version of the score from the film The Monster Squad. This movie is one of our favorites here on Monster Kid Radio. And part of the reason why this movie is so successful is because the music is fantastic. The score is by Bruce Broughton. And while it has been released in various versions and editions over the years, this limited edition is perhaps the best sounding version of the soundtrack on CD. There were only 3,000 units pressed of this particular CD. It does even include the song Monster Squad Rap, which I don't think has been ever officially released, or if it has, it hasn't sounded as good as it does on this particular album, even though they weren't able to find the source for the rap song. They had to pull it from some of the film elements. Although, let's be honest, that's not why you're buying this album. That's not why you're watching the movie. The score is grand, it's epic, and the CD even comes with some incredible liner notes from writer Daniel Schweger. With his love for old creature features, it would seem that Fred Decker's biggest musical influence would be the old-school universal horror scores, like the ones composed by Hans J. Salter, Franz Waxman, and Frank Skinner. However, it was actually John Barry's 007 soundtracks that gave Decker his first appreciation for movie scores, one that would grow in the 1970s with John Williams' soundtracks for The Cowboys, Jaws, and Star Wars. It was never about only loving genre music for me, Decker says. It's always been about great orchestral music. That was my wife Brenda reading the liner notes from The Monster Squad. Anytime you hear a reading from a particular book that we talk about here in the gift guide, it's her voice. So big thanks to Brenda for contributing her voice to this episode. The Monster Squad limited edition soundtrack release has cover art by Dan Goldwasser. It's available through La La Land Records. So go to lalalandrecords.com. Look up Monster Squad limited edition. Right now it's selling for $19.98. Here at Monster Kid Radio, we're big fans of the work of H.P. Lovecraft and the influence that his work has had on the horror genre. There are some classic monster movies that have that Lovecraft feel, and not just the adaptations of some of his work. The influence, the Lovecraft-ness, can be felt in a number of classic monster movies. The H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society has embraced the classic-ness of Lovecraft and created dozens of products celebrating not just the man's work, but the time in which he lived by creating products, movies, books, props, even fonts that feel as if they were created during Lovecraft's lifetime. For the past several years, they've been producing what they call Dark Adventure Radio Theater. This is a series released on CD. It comes packed with props relevant to the story contained within that CD. That story is presented as a full-on audio drama written in the style of a classic radio show, complete with sponsors and introduction, what's coming up next time. There's a soundtrack, there's sound effects, and this year they released two Dark Adventure Radio Theaters. I think Monster Kids are going to dig. First, they released H.P. Lovecraft's Dagon, War of Worlds. Okay, so combining the War of the Worlds with Lovecraft. I don't know if I really need to say anything other than that, other than this is one heck of an adventure. Now, I mentioned that these CDs come with props. I'm talking about newspaper clippings, reports, there was a matchbook released in one a couple of years ago. I'm not going to show you any of the props 
from Dagon War of Worlds because these props actually spoil the story. In fact, there's even a note that comes in the CD that says, stop, listen to the story first because you're going to get spoiled. Now, the other album that was released is Christmas specific. It's called A Solstice Carol. Here's what I like about this album. First, it's a two disc set and it's got a ton of bonus material. But secondly, as with Dagon War of Worlds, the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society is not just adapting these stories anymore. Now they are taking some of these stories and mashing them up with other literary works and in some cases bending them to fit these other forms while still keeping the creepy. A Solstice Carol is the story of a Christmas Carol, but instead of Scrooge, Lovecraft himself is the main character. Lovecraft awoke and it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls of his chamber. The chimes of St. Stephen's Church struck. The ghost warned me that a visitation would come when the clock struck one. So like Farley to spout such nonsense. But just then, a soft light flashed in the room. Lovecraft sat up in a half-recumbent attitude and found himself face to face with an unearthly visitor. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old woman, yet not so like an old woman as a partially decomposed human being. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it. The arms were very long and sinewy, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch with five twigs emerging from it, three above and two below. Even this, though, when Lovecraft looked at it with increasing steadiness, was not its strangest quality. The figure itself fluctuated in its distinctness, being now a thing with one arm, now a thing with one leg, now with twenty legs, now a pair of legs without a head, now a head without a body. The H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society gave us permission to play those clips from those CDs, but you've got to go to CthulhuLives.org to buy the full CD for yourself or buy them as a digital download. You can also find these albums on Amazon. If you buy them from their website, Dagon World of Worlds is $12. A Solstice Carol is $15. If you go to Amazon, you're looking at significantly more. Dagon is 1950. A Solstice Carol is 2350. But even at 2350, A Solstice Carol is more than worth it. If you have a monster kid in your life who enjoys Lovecraft or enjoys classic radio, this will certainly give them visions of, well, something dancing through their heads. 2010 saw the release of the book The Vampire's Tomb Mystery by Dwight Christopher Kemper. This is the third in a series of novels, the first two being Who Framed Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi in the House of Doom. These are mystery novels, mystery stories set during the production of some of our favorite movies. For example, Bela Lugosi in the House of Doom takes place during the production of Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. So yeah, Abbott and Costello are characters, as is Glenn Strange, Bela Lugosi, and so on. The Vampire's Tomb mystery isn't necessarily set during the production of a film. Rather, it's set during a very specific era. The Bela Lugosi, shall we call them Twilight Years? Pretty much toward the end of his life. So the people that he was around at that point become the main characters in this particular mystery. Ed Wood, Criswell, Forrest J. Ackerman even shows up. They arrived at the Harold Way apartment house in time to see Armand in the hall with a dark-haired teenage boy 
wearing thick tortoiseshell glasses. Thank you for coming to help me, Andreas, Armon said. But a neighbor, he already helped me with the water bottle. Tesla appeared more tired and drawn than usual, if that were possible. He wore a bathrobe over an undershirt and dark pants. Andreas Orby's eyes were bright with hero worship. It's all right, Mr. Tesla, he said, clutching an 8x10 still of Armand as the monster from Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And thanks for autographing this. You're the good boy, Tesla smiled. You and the other boys are my true friends. This year, the audio production company Circle of Spears produced The Vampire's Tomb Mystery as a CD audio book. It runs just over nine hours. Eight CDs. The book is read by Sam Burns with additional voices by Helen Sterling. And I'll go ahead and tell you, Sterling plays Vampira in the reading of the book. This is one of my favorite stories. I am a big fan of what Dwight does. He really captures the voices of these characters, these icons that we know. Now, in The Vampire's Tomb Mystery, the name Bela Lugosi had to be changed to, well, something else. He probably could pick up on it while you were listening to that clip, but it doesn't detract from the fact that, come on, it's Bela. You can order the CD audiobook from circleofspears.com. It's £19.99. If you're here in the States, however, you can buy the CD book directly from Dwight Kemper himself by looking him up on eBay. He's selling copies there. His username on eBay is Detective. Now, Dwight Kemper, he's a friend of the show, but I'm not recommending this book on tape or I guess book on CD just because he's a friend of MKR. No, I really enjoy this story. I've enjoyed all three novels in this series. I wish there was more. In the meantime, I'm going to be listening to this CD, well, more than once, and it's an eight CD set. Check it out. Also, if you get it through eBay, directly from Dwight, I bet he'd autograph it for you. He autographed mine. Now, the gift guide this year is weighted specifically to media. I didn't get into clothing. I didn't get into models or anything like that. I just stuck to books, CDs, and DVDs, and Blu-rays. So why don't we go ahead and talk about some books? Bear Manor Media is a great publishing company when it comes to genre and cult and retro and niche topics and this year they released the book Bela Lugosi in person by Bill Kaffenberger and Gary D. Rhodes forward by Ann Croft afterward by Lisa Mitchell. You may recognize the author's names from books like No Traveler Returns, The Lost Years of Bela Lugosi. This is another excellent Bela Lugosi tome and with a name like Gary D. Rhodes on it, well, you know it's going to be good because the man is probably one of our generation's most important Lugosi files. He and Kaffenberger have poured their love for the subject into this hefty tome. It clocks in at over 400 pages of Bela Lugosi material, trivia, history. Now, it's not just about Dracula. It's not about White Zombie. It's about some of the things that he did away from the camera, a few things that he did do on camera that you might not know about. And it puts it all into perspective. Bela Lugosi was typecast in the United States long before he ever played the role of Dracula. From his earliest English language appearance on the American stage, he became the exotic foreigner, his dark features and thick accent transforming him into the other. Though the storylines and exact nature of the roles would vary, Lugosi the Foreigner appeared before American audiences in such plays as The Red Poppy in 1922, 
Arabesque, 1925, Open House, 1925, and The Devil in the Cheese, 1926. The same was true of silent films like The Silent Command, 1923, The Rejected Woman, 1924, and Daughters Who Pay, 1926. The dawn of the talkie further positioned Lugosi as the foreigner, with moviegoers finally able to hear the voice that Broadway knew all too well. He could be vaguely coded as Indian, the 13th chair of 1929, Arab, Renegades in 1930, or Italian, O for a Man, in 1930. Depending on the role, Lugosi was from far away, or even further away. He was not American. It was nothing to do with citizenship or politics. Rather, it was typecasting. It was a kind of role, even if it manifested in different forms in different films and plays. Once Dracula, 1931, transformed him into a movie star, Lugosi became typecast again, with Hollywood situating him into what became six different roles. There were many films and many characters, but only six basic roles over and over again for the space of a quarter century. The boundaries between the six could be porous, but that only further tied him to them. The book is filled with wonderful black and white illustrations and newspaper clippings advertisements, magazine covers, and extensive footnotes. The softcover version of this book sells for $24.95. As Monster Kids, we love the old-school monster movie magazines. However, a lot of these monster movie magazines are either really hard to come by or really expensive. Well, Todd Fry has taken the covers from almost every monster movie magazine and compiled them into this reference book called I Was a Teenage Monster Magazine Fiend. The cover art from these magazines is amazing and that Fry has compiled them all into one book for $24.95. And this is something that I have flipped through repeatedly and I think the monster kids in your life will as well. The monster magazine began, of course, after James Warren got the idea that kids might want to read about and look at pictures of those crazy monsters which were stalking television in the late 1950s. Warren had made a few brief stabs at becoming a publisher, but had quickly run into trouble when he tried to emulate Hugh Hefner in his native Philadelphia, getting arrested as a pornographer. Of course, Warren was only one of dozens of men around the country who had witnessed Hefner's success and thought they could do nearly as well. He had managed to put out four issues of a title called After Hours, and in the process got to learn the dirty ins and outs of putting together a regular publication, of dealing with unions and mobbed-up distributors, and so forth. For his next effort, Warren decided to steer clear of anything that might get him another obscenity charge, and instead focused on a subject that adults would ignore, but children would embrace. Fry does give each magazine a little bit of historical context. Of course, a big chunk of the book is devoted to famous monsters of Filmland, but there's also things like Shock Mystery Theater, Tales from the Tomb, Voodoo, Vampirella, Eerie, something called Ghoul Tales, and a number of other magazines I've never heard of, but man, now I must read them. Until then, though, we've got this book. Frank Schuldiner is the author behind the book, The Quest of Frankenstein from Black Coat Press. The Quest of Frankenstein tells the story of Frankenstein's monster, but it's not the Frankenstein's monster that you and I might recognize. This is the monster as interpreted by the Academy Award-winning screenwriter Jean-Claude Carrier. 
Now, there were a number of stories featuring this Frankenstein's monster, whose name is Garul. And in Shildreners, the quest to Frankenstein, Garul is looking for a mate. Frank Shildreners is no stranger to what's known as New Pulp, and he takes his character through familiar horror territory. A guard with a large brass horn stood by the entry portal, huddling in a small wooden shack, dressed in heavy woolen clothes, but still shivering in the cold of the mountains. He spotted Gorul and raised the horn to his mouth, seemingly unsurprised by the giant's monstrous visage. His movements were mechanical, as if he was a clockwork figure, and this was his only function. Frankenstein's most dangerous creation knew this man was a herald, standing here to signal the approach of visitors to the lord of the dwelling. Stepping forward, Garul punched the horn, pushing it back inside the mouth of the herald and shattering his teeth and jaw. The man fell with a whimper into the shack, his hands covering his wounded face. With a hard stomp, Frankenstein's creature flattened the horn and glanced into the shack, spotting some supplies for the occupant, as well as a small stove for warmth. Seeing no other horn, Garul walked away and leaped up onto the castle's wall, beginning a climb towards the source of the scent he was following. The fact that there were many vampires present was of no matter to him. The mission for the ingredients necessary for the creation of his mate was paramount. Vampires are the least of Garul's worries. This is a really fun novel running about 250 pages. And there is a section in the back letting readers know where some of the influences came when children had decided to add characters like, say, Herbert West to this story. The book retails for $20.95 through Black Coat Press. Of course, you can also find it on Amazon. It's been argued, and some people would say rightfully so, that Manos, The Hands of Fate is the worst movie ever made. Well, I personally don't really agree with that, and neither did Stephen D. Sullivan, which is why he was able to adapt this public domain film as a novel. Released at the end of 2015 through Walkabout Publishing, Stephen D. Sullivan takes this film that we've all come to know and love as kind of an unintentional comedy and turn it into a comedic novel. Now, the approach that he took to writing this novel is unique. If you've read Sullivan's work before, you know he's not necessarily known as a comedy guy. So he changed his style up to make it a bit breezier and a bit more fitting with a movie like Manos. Neither he nor Margaret can imagine what manner of deranged boss would hire a weirdo like Torgo as a caretaker. Our Mashugana servant is certainly not the kind of person you'd want to run a lodge. Both of Debbie's parents now suspect they've come to the wrong place. Yeah, they're not too bright, but they do catch on eventually. Margaret leans into her husband and clutches his arm. Debbie grips her father's hand tightly and tries to hide behind Mike's tan chinos. Pepe stands boldly in front of the family, guarding them all. His tiny furry body is tense with adrenaline. The fuzzy ball at the end of his tail points straight towards the earth. Grrr! Torgo stares at the newcomers with strangely unfocused eyes. He cocks his head like an enormous bird. But the, the child, he stammers. I, I'm not sure the master would approve. Or the dog. The master doesn't like children. Or dogs, I guess. Our girl Margaret doesn't like Torgo. The caretaker seems broken. Like some of the mental patients at the hospital where she volunteers. 
and the way his darting eyes keep looking at her. We only want to know where Valley Lodge is, she says, trying to appear brave and failing. This approach has made Mano Sahan's fate a very approachable novel. It's a breezy read, but it's still enjoyable. On top of that, if you have any love for Mano Sahan's fate, the original version, or the Mystery Science Theater version, or any other Rift version of the film, you're going to find something to enjoy in this book. It's available for e-readers, but it's also available as a print edition for $11.99 through Amazon. That's Manos, The Hands of Fate by Stephen E. Sullivan. Stay tuned because in 2016, Sullivan is going to tackle a serious horror version of the same story. Maybe it'll make next year's gift guide. Dracula loves Frankenstein like a brother. Why else would he traverse the globe to find the perfect surgeon to perform a brain transplant on the big green guy? Dracula even carries around portable electrode chargers. But when the wolfman finds out about Drac's plan to fix Frankie, werewolf and vampire fight fang and claw until both plunge off a cliff, while Frankenstein is incinerated in a gasoline-fueled inferno. It goes to show you, monsters are like family. They care for each other, they fight with each other. That's one interpretation of the climax of 1948's Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. This is how a lot of us remember the creepy kooky monster craze. Monsters hung out, they inhabited the same universe, they posed for group shots as if attending a high school reunion. The marketing of monsterific merchandise often gave the impression that monsters were old buddies who shared adventures, like the Justice League or Ocean's Eleven. I'm talking about the first string of classic, mostly universal, monsters. Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Phantom, the Hunchback, the Mummy, the Creature. These were the go-to monsters, although the Bride of Frankenstein, Mr. Hyde, King Kong, and Godzilla hovered on their periphery. I can't say where that leaves the astounding she-monster or Ega. Author Mark Voger is the man behind Monster Mash, the creepy kooky monster craze in America, 1957 to 1972. Now, while this book is designed for the family that is Monster Kids, it may sound like it's directed at the first generation of kids who loved and grew up on these monsters. And that's true. However, it's also true that people like me, somebody who is not a first generation Monster Kid, would still enjoy the heck out of this book. It is a collection of interviews, reflections on the different movies that make up Monster Kid Dumb, television shows, toys, models. There's a good section on the TV show Dark Shadows and even a couple of pages devoted to the Dark Shadows newspaper strip. I didn't even know such a thing existed until I read Mark Voger's Monster Mash. The foreword is written by Zachary Lee, the cool ghoul. So yeah, there's some horror host content in this book as well. It is a historical book. It does go through and show how the monster boom really came about. What started it? What caused it? And then the highs and unfortunately the lows of the original monster boom. This is a sturdy hardcover book from Tomorrow's Publishing, which is a company known primarily, I think, for their works on comic books and magazines because of the kinds of things they normally publish. Well, they're experts when it comes to color, graphic design, layout, and the book Monster Bash is a treat to read. It is a full color book. There isn't a page that doesn't have an illustration, a picture, a poster, a photograph, 
I'm flipping through the book right now. Here's an interview with Forrest J. Ackerman. The very next page, here's a couple of pages on monster hit songs like The Monster Mash or the song from the horror at Party Beach. There's a great section on the Aurora models. There's a section on the Thriller TV show. Another section on the Mars Attacks trading cards. Even if the monster kid you're shopping for this holiday season wasn't around during the monster craze from 1957 to 1972, this book is still for them. It's instant nostalgia, even if you weren't even alive during the time of this initial monster craze. Mark Voger knows his stuff and knows his writing. It's an easy read. It's a quick read. And it's something that I know I'm going to go back to time and time again, if nothing else, to check out these incredible illustrations. Hey, here's an interview with Butch Patrick. Hey, and there's a box of Frankenberry cereal. I tell you, this book is a treasure trove and it's going to give and give and give no matter how many times you read it. Cover price of this hardback book is $39.95. We are back to Bear Manor Media as we wrap up the books segment of this year's gift guide. I'm going to talk a little bit about the series Scripts from the Crypt. Now, they are up to four installments of this series. It was created by Tom Weaver back in 2011. And this past year, we saw two new installments in this series. The approach that Scripts from the Crypt takes to the classic monster movies that they cover they don't tackle the popular ones. They don't tackle the movies that have had numerous reference books written about them. They tackle movies that may not have received the same type of scholarly attention that maybe a Universal or Hammer film had received. Scripts from the Crypt Volume 3 features Bride of the Gorilla. A handful of contributors, including John Landis, who wrote the introduction, makes Scripts from the Crypt Bride of the Gorilla a fascinating read. Now, as the series title implies, there is a script in this book. So you do get the original script for Bride of the Gorilla, but you also get several pages of fun facts. You get a little bit of history about what went into the production of the movie, and you even get to learn a little bit about the cast and crew, including the director. Bride of the Gorilla began shooting on Thursday, July 26, at Sam Goldwyn Studios, formerly the historic United Artists Studios. Its interiors and jungle exteriors were shot on set. Herman Cohen had a memory of finishing the picture in 10 days, but according to contemporary sources and also to director Siodmak, it only took seven. Seven days is surprising because Siodmak admits on the first day the movie didn't really have a director. There is a difference in writing a scene or standing behind a camera to visualizing that scene and giving it life. At the first minutes of shooting, I was in a catatonic state, but the crews and the actors, sensing my mental coma, came to my rescue. I saw Barbara walking through the jungle, the camera moved on its track, the actors spoke their lines. The experienced crew guided me through the first hours of production. I was not told that Jack Broder, who had watched me, wanted to replace me, but the actors and crew threatened to walk out. The next day, I already felt like an old-timer. There are interviews for the entire book, and one of my favorite sections in this book is the chapter Evolution of a Horror Star, written by Greg Mank and Tom Weaver. It's a timeline of Lon Chaney Jr., beginning with his birth in 1906, and then we spend one, two, three, four, you know, a number of pages going through the highs and lows of the man's career and life and beyond. And the entire book is more than a bargain at $24.95. Bride of the Gorilla is one thing, 
Bride of the Monster is something entirely different, and that was the fourth installment of Scripts from the Crypt released this year. This is written by Gary D. Woods with a number of contributors, including Samuel M. Sherman, who wrote the foreword for this book. As with the previous installments, there's a script to Bride of the Monster in this book. The book itself is formatted slightly differently than previous installments. That's okay. The content is still there. The quality is still there. You've got more trivia. You've got newspaper clippings. You've got advertising material, a lot of information about Lugosi, interviews. I mean, who would have thought somebody would have published nearly 300 pages about an Ed Wood film? Despite a few paychecks, Lugosi's three-year odyssey with Ed Wood was marked more by projects that did not happen by those that did. The Vampire's Tomb, The Ghoul Goes West, aka The Phantom Ghoul, The Final Curtain, those are a few of the Wood-Lugosi movies that never got off the ground. Similarly, Wood tried to stage a version of Dracula, the vampire play, with Lugosi. He tried to launch a Lugosi TV show called Dr. Acula. He tried to produce a Lugosi radio show called The Terror, and he tried to convince publishers to publish a Lugosi comic book. The list of dreams deferred goes on and on. Bride of the Monster was different. For Ed Wood, Bride of the Monster became a real movie, however low budget, one that gained him entry into the Screen Directors Guild in April of 1955, and one that was released to mainstream theaters throughout the United States beginning in January of 1956. Glenn or Glenda might have been his ode to autobiography, and Plan 9 might have contained his most haunting imagery, but the troubled history of Bride of the Monster resulted in Wood's single greatest film, an achievement that is much more remarkable than it is laughable. There's even a section on the music from Bride of the Monster in this book. It is in-depth, it is complete, and it's definitely something that monster kids are going to enjoy. And as with the previous scripts from the Crypt book, it also sells for $24.95. I'm a big fan of the Scripts from the Crypt series. I cannot wait to see what comes up next. I hope there's a number five and six and seven. I love that they get so in-depth in some of these obscure films. I mean, Bride of the Monster getting a book that big? I mean, that's a lot of pages devoted to an Ed Wood film. And it's all good. It's all quality content. think you're going to dig it. Well, okay. It's not about buying for you. It's about buying for that monster kid in your life, right? All right, let's get into some movies. I've got DVDs and Blu-rays. One Step Beyond was an anthology TV series that launched in January of 1959. This is kind of important and relatively interesting because The Twilight Zone, while it did launch the same year, didn't hit until October. So before The Twilight Zone, you have One Step Beyond telling these supernaturally touched stories, typically horror, maybe a little bit of science fiction elements woven into these stories. Sometimes, okay, actually most of the time they told us they were based on true stories. And the format of the show will be familiar to anybody who loves shows like The Twilight Zone because each episode was introduced by director John Newland. Now he would come on screen, introduce the story we're about to see, and then we were off and running. What's interesting here is that so many, if not all of the episodes were directed by John Newland himself. So a weekly TV show, almost 100 episodes, all directed by the same guy, with guest stars like Julie Adams, Whit Bissell, Charles Bronson, William Shatner, Elizabeth Montgomery, Andre Morel. There were a number of people that appeared in One Step Beyond that monster kids 
are going to recognize and love. I'm partial to the Julie Adams episodes myself. Big surprise there, right? Now, One Step Beyond has never had an official complete series release on DVD. The syndication package was altered a little bit. There is one particular episode involving magic mushrooms and it's presented as an actual documentary. It's been omitted from most packages. You're probably not going to see that one anywhere really. But as far as official releases go, Film Chess put together this six disc set with 70 episodes of One Step Beyond. And really, it looks about as good as you're going to find it. Now, a lot of these episodes, if not all of them, are in the public domain. Horror hosts have introduced them. You might find them on YouTube or other online resources. To have them on DVD and looking as good as they're going to look, well, that's a treat. And as of right now, it's selling for $11.99. That's six DVDs, 70 half-hour episodes of this incredible anthology series for just $12. going to hop across the pond for this next one. The movie The Ghoul from 1933 was released on Blu-ray in the UK. Now this means it's a region B release. So you must be able to play multiple regions in your Blu-ray. Well, okay. The monster kid you're shopping for must be able to play region B Blu-rays in their Blu-ray player. And these days it's getting more and more affordable to buy a multi-region player. So go ahead and throw that on your list. Anyway, The Ghoul was released on Blu-ray by network earlier this year and it comes with an incredible special feature a commentary track by kim newman and stephen jones now this is considered the first horrific and i just did air quotes horrific british film in which boris karloff plays an egyptology obsessed well villain who turns his old dark house into a house of mystery as he comes back from the dead sort of the ending of the movie is a little controversial but to get to that ending, you get to go through nearly 80 minutes of historically interesting and fascinating filmmaking with Karloff, Ernest Thesiger, Ralph Richardson, and Cedric Hardwick. The music is fascinating in this movie as well. And to see a movie like this happening just a couple of years after Frankenstein, to see Boris Karloff's progression as a horror actor and a horror icon, what monster kid could resist? And the price point is right. Eight pounds. That's all you're going to pay for it. And if you get it through amazon.co.uk, you know it's not going to cost that much for you to ship it from the UK to here in the States. All right, think about some of the most iconic Universal movie monsters. If Creature from the Black Lagoon, the Gill Man, isn't near the top of your list, well, you might be watching or listening to the wrong podcast. The documentary Creature Feature... 60 Years of the Gill Man was finally released this year. I say finally, because I first found out about this documentary when the title was Creature Feature 50 Years of the Gill Man. Yeah, 10 years ago. Why it's been sitting in post-production and sitting on the shelf somewhere, I have no idea. I'm just glad that it's finally out on DVD and Blu-ray, released by Shadowplay M.O.D., it is narrated by Keith David, who also serves as one of the producers on the project. And we have interviews with Julie Adams, Benicio Del Toro. Remember, this was about 10 years ago and the Wolfman remake was pretty hot back then. We even have interviews with Ben Chapman, who is no longer with us, unfortunately. So to have this Blu-ray surface and have interviews with Mr. Chapman, the original Land Gillman, it's pretty special. 
It's no secret that Creature from the Black Lagoon is my favorite film of all time, and I'm in love with many elements of this film, as well as sequels. And the sequels get some coverage in this movie as well. Not only is this a historical documentary in that we're looking back at the original Creature films, but because it is 10 years old, we're going to go back to some of the locations as they existed at the 50-year mark of Creature from the Black Lagoon as opposed to now, and there have been some changes since then. So this is a really interesting documentary, something that I've watched a couple of times now. Having met Riku Browning and Julie Adams at various conventions, it's also interesting to go back to hear some interviews that they were giving 10 years ago versus what they talk about now. The DVD sells for $17.99 and the Blu-rays $21.95, all through Amazon.com. I believe you could also get it through Monsters in Motion, but they've had trouble keeping it in stock. Speaking of all things Creature, the second film in that franchise, Revenge of the Creature, was released on Blu-ray this year. Just not here in the States. You have to hop over to Germany to pick it up. And I'm going to be honest with you, despite having a last name derived from German, I can't speak it, read it, or pronounce it, so I'm not going to try to pronounce the German title. However, if you just go to Amazon.de and do a search for and do a search for Revenge of the Creature, it's going to turn up. Why some of these Universal Monster movies are being released on Blu-ray in Germany, I have no idea. This is not the only one that's been released. The Mole People, The Incredible Shrinking Man, a number of these movies have been released on Blu-ray in Germany. And it's great, especially if you have that multi-region Blu-ray player I mentioned earlier. Coach Media is the company putting these Blu-rays out. And the special features are pretty interesting. You get an interview with Jack Arnold, the director of the film, and it's in English. Also, there's a super 8mm version of the film. However, the coolest thing about this Blu-ray is that it's in 3D, and you do not need a 3D Blu-ray player or 3D TV to watch it because the Blu-ray comes with its own set of red and blue 3D glasses. Is it as clear as typical 3D TV these days? No. And of course, you do have to sit directly in front of the TV to make it work, but come on. You've got Revenge of the Creature in 3D on Blu-ray at home? I think the only thing that would make that better is if Lori Nelson came over to watch the movie with you. The Blu-ray is 16.99 euros. And again, go to amazon.de and do a search for Revenge of the Creature and it'll come up for you. Back here in the States, all the films has released on Blu-ray, the movie It, The Terror from Beyond Space. Now this is kind of a low budget effort from the 50s. It's the movie whose movie poster guaranteed $50,000 by a world-renowned insurance company to the first person who can prove that it is not on Mars right now. This is a perfect ship-in-a-bottle type story. Everything's contained to pretty much one location, this ship up in outer space, and there's something on board knocking people off. It's a mystery, there's some noir elements, and it's a science fiction film with Crash Corrigan wearing the monster suit. Now, there's been a lot made out of the fact that the headpiece doesn't necessarily fit Crash Corrigan's head. And if you look closely at some of the publicity stills, you can see the man's chin jutting out of the mask's mouth. However, if you tell yourself that it's just the monster's tongue, you can get by that. On top of that, most of the time the monster's in shadow, as it should be, so you don't really notice it all that much. And I was looking for it when I got this Blu-ray from Olive Films. It is a bare-bones release. There are no special features, but... It's a fun movie, and you can certainly see how it might have influenced other films like Alien or even John Carpenter's Dark Star.
more and more lately, I've been fascinated with double features. A couple of movies that the studios put together and released theatrically. And in 1965, Universal released a double feature of a William Castle film and a movie called Dark Intruder. Now, Dark Intruder stars Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Leslie Nielsen appears in this movie as an occult expert working with the police to try to solve a series of murders taking place. There are a number of spooky clues left at the crime scene, and the movie is thick with atmosphere and pseudo-gothic production design. Nielsen does an incredible job in this film, almost making me forget that he was a naked gun. There is a sense of fun, however, to what he's doing. It's not super serious. It's not Forbidden Planet serious. There is just an edge of dark humor to what he's doing here. His relationships with the other characters in the movie, a lot of fun. This is a short movie because it was produced as a TV pilot, but when it didn't get picked up, it got thrown into the theatrical circuit. While it was released with a particular William Castle film back then, it's also being released with a different William Castle film now. It's being released with the film The Nightwalker by Turner Classic Movies. For about $22, you can get the Nightwalker and Dark Intruder Horror Double Feature DVD. This is the first official release of Dark Intruder on DVD. It looks great. The transfer's good. And the Nightwalker by William Castle? That's just a bonus. One of the great things about living in the age we live in now as Monster Kids is that while there really aren't any more classic monster movies being made, because by definition, they can't be, there are movies being made that fit that aesthetic. We're talking about some of these retro films, and the final three movies in the movie section of the Skiff Guide are these retro-style productions. First, we have Wolfbane Productions' Tales of Dracula. In what could be part one of a trilogy, director Joe DeMuro and company present a story featuring Frankenstein's monster, a wolfman, and Dracula. And while it is low budget, you can't help but see the love that the filmmakers have for this material. Dwight Kemper, the author of The Vampire's Tomb Mystery that I mentioned earlier, he appears in the film as an actor, and he even wrote some of the film as well. Watch for him playing Anton the Innkeeper. It's a lot of fun. The makeup is incredible. The Frankenstein monster design is smart. The changes that they make to the monster to keep it from being too on the nose for Universal, yet still referencing some of the Universal-isms of the classic Frankenstein monster, intelligent choices were made here. The performance of Dracula by Wayne W. Johnson is unique, something that I've not quite seen before, and the other actors and actresses all seem to be having a blast as well. The movie is feature-length and it's being distributed by Alpha Video, which means you can get it at oldies.com for less than $6. Of course, it's also available on Amazon. And if you look up Wolfbane Productions online, you'll see that they're in the middle of a fundraising campaign to make more Tales of Dracula movies. Oldies.com is also where you can pick up the movie, The Vesuvius Experiment. Experiment is spelled X. P-E-R-I-M-E-N-T, much like the Quatermass Experiment. In fact, there's a lot about this movie that's like the Quatermass Experiment, and that was by design. Writer-director Joshua Kennedy has been producing these retro-style movies for the past five years, and he just keeps getting better and better. And the Vesuvius Experiment is his best production 
to date. Styled after the first two Hammer Quatermass films, the Vesuvius experiment is about Dr. Vesuvius, played by Joshua Kennedy himself. He's a scientist. He's searching for things on the edge, on the fringe, and he's working at a hospital where he has plenty of patients to experiment. Well, okay, yeah, it's fair to say he's experimenting on them. It's not full on Dr. Frankenstein. Like I said, this is strictly in the Quatermass mold. Kennedy has nailed the performance here, and he's surrounding himself with a number of other competent actors and actresses. It's hard to believe that Joshua Kennedy is a film student, but he's a film student with a DVD deal, and it's well-deserved. The Vesuvius experiment is moody where it needs to be moody. There's some action. There's a nice vein of cynicism going through it. And if you are into scientist heroes, or more specifically, scientist anti-heroes, the Vesuvius experiment is going to deliver. It runs a little less than an hour. It's set in modern day New York and Kennedy's music choices for this film are inspired. Any movie that opens with the music of Gustav Holst's The Planets is a winner in my book. I've actually got Joshua Kennedy lined up as a guest on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio. So we're going to talk about the Vesuvius experiment. However, it's probably not going to come out until early January. So you've got plenty of time to get that Monster Kid in your life ready to go by checking out this movie, as well as some of his other films. You might check them out, but this is the most recent, or at least the most recent, available on DVD. It's a lot of fun. If you like Quatermass, like I said, check it out. Since 2006, Christopher R. Mim has been producing a movie a year. Mim is known for what's called the Mimiverse. And the Mimiverse is a perpetual era stuck in the 1950s. Okay, I used the word stuck. It's not a bad thing. It's a great thing. Because what Mim is doing is creating a classic retro sci-fi films with monsters, black and white photography, and a serious love for all things that made the 50s monster movies cool. 2015 saw the release of his film, Danny Johnson Saves the World. And if I were to liken it to a classic science fiction movie, I might look at something like, say, Space Children. Because in Danny Johnson Saves the World, it's a bunch of kids saving the world. Led by Danny Johnson. Danny Johnson is played by... Elliot Mim. Now, Danny Johnson is a recurring character in the later films in the Mimiverse cycle, but don't let that throw you or the person you're shopping for. Danny Johnson Saves the World is a great standalone movie. Now, of course, after having seen this, your appetite might be whetted for more Mimiverse fun. Head over to Saint Euphoria.com. So that's Saint, all spelled out, Euphoria as in Euphoric. Dot com. While there, you can order a copy of Danny Johnson Saves the World, and it only costs $9.99. Jump on it now, though, because it's actually a Christmas movie. The wraparound segments are set during Christmas. You've got a classic robot design by Mitch Gonzalez. You've got aliens. You've got kids trying to save the world. It's just a fun, nostalgic movie. It's going to make you feel warm inside and put you in the Christmas spirit. And how many monster movies can do that? Of course, Christopher Armin is another friend of Monster Kid Radio. That said, I was a fan of his movies before I became a fan of him. So Danny Johnson Saves the World definitely gets top marks from me. And it's a Christmas movie set in the Mimiverse. Come on. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Kid Radio and the Holiday Gift Guide. This was a lot of fun for me to produce, but a little scary. This is the first time we've done video, like I said at the very beginning. If this works, if y'all dig it, well, we might do some other video projects in the near future. In 2016, 
2016 is coming. Wow. The year just sped by. Still time for you to get Christmas gifts, though. So go over to monsterkidradio.net and click on where it says the 2015 Holiday Gift Guide. This is going to be a master list of everything that we've talked about on this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Also on our website, you're going to find links to everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio, like our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And you can also call and leave us a voicemail at 503 479 5MKR, that's 5657. I want to say thanks again to the band The Dead Rocks. Having them open the show and then having them close the show here in a moment. I mean, come on, it's green sleeves. It's Christmas, right? We got to celebrate the holidays and what's better than holiday surf music? I mean, really. So The Dead Rocks, awesome band. You can find them at deadrocks.com.br where you can find where you can buy their albums and find a listing of their upcoming events. They've got five live shows coming up in January. If you're in Brazil, check them out and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. There will be a link to their website in the show notes, again, at our website where you can find everything else you need to know, like a link to our Facebook page or a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio. That's patreon.com slash Radio. And you can help support the show financially that way. Another way you can help the show is just giving us a review in iTunes, whatever podcatcher you use, retweet the tweets, share us on Facebook, or if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, leave us a comment. You can make that your holiday gift to us here at Monster Kid Radio. In fact, your holiday gift to us here at Monster Kid Radio is just your support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And thank you for helping to make Monster Kid Radio a very incredibly fun experience for me this year. I'm going to be doing a review of Monster Kid Radio's 2015 in the Monster Rally Checkpoint e-newsletter. Now, this comes out once a month. Head over to our website, put in your email address, hit subscribe, and you're going to get yourself on the list for this e-newsletter. Now, you're going to get Monster Movie Trivia, an editorial written by me, a column called The Creature Connection, which is about, well... Creature from the Black Lagoon, go figure. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy putting that together. And if you want to see what's coming up for 2016, well, get yourself subscribed and we'll start teasing that out with the next release. Also, before wrapping up, once again, big thanks to Dorado Films for allowing us to use the Dorado Films podcast studio. I feel quite comfortable here, so I'm sure I'm going to be back. And again, stay tuned for the Dorado Films podcast. More episodes of that coming out shortly as well. Until then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Green Sleeves. That belongs to the band The Dead Rocks. It's on the album International Brazilian Surfs. Check them out. Pick up the album. Pick out all their albums. Tell them that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week when I'm back with Ken Johnson and Leslie Nielsen. <laughs>